0: Welcome everybody to Thurgo and the Freak. I'm your host, the glorious league freak. And today we're going to be talking about the 2022 Rugby League World Cup. I have watched every single game in full bar one, which was the Scotland versus Italy game. I saw highlights of it. I started watching the game, but it didn't get through it. It was a bit of a, a rough game. And I've watched so much footy in the last few days. Now, if you want my thoughts on England versus Samoa, Listen to the previous podcast, I was podcasting straight after that match with our good friend Carsten Brummer, and everyone has loved that episode so far. Carsten's a a really funny dude, he knows a lot about the game, he knows a lot about the international game as well, so it's a pretty unique podcast. He's been on before, and we had to take down the episode just because it was uh, one of those episodes that we could have all got cancelled for. Anyway... Let's go through these games. Um, England versus Samoa, 60 points to 6 to England. I am still utterly shocked at how poor Samoa was. And one of the things that really has stood out so far in the World Cup is that the way that teams have prepared and the coaching that they have, it is very different to what we have seen even in recent history in International Rugby League. Teams are, are much better prepared for matches They're a little bit fitter and the coaching is a little bit better. And I think that that's why when you look at all the teams we've seen so far in the World Cup, the worst in terms of preparation and coaching and like it even looked like fitness has been Samoa, which is crazy because they have so much talent in that side. It should not be the case. Um, England, you know, they're still pretty happy about winning that match. And I understand it. You know, they they don't win games like that over good opponents, you know, in recent memory. So, you know, you've got to allow English fans to be happy about their performance. Um, they should finish top of that group now, which is very good for them. The second match was not too long after that game, actually. Australia beat Fiji 42 points to 8. Australia started a little slow, Um The scoreline blew out at the end because Fiji didn't play poorly. Fiji actually played really well. You could see they were ready for this match. They were well prepared for this match. Um, The tide started turning with the Australian team when they started to go into their hooker rotation. And I talked a little bit about that during the State of Origin series that the Queensland hooker rotation, I thought it was something we would see in the World Cup, and it was. And it made a big difference in this game. And we'll see that through the rest of this World Cup tournament for Australia. Um, you know, th- there were very few poor performers in the Australian team. A lot of people were getting on DCE's back. I don't really know why because I thought he was playing all right. Um, you know, Fiji played played really well. You know, I know the scoreline doesn't show that. But they did play really well. But Australia, when they get on a roll, like no one's going to stop them. I don't care who you put in front of them. And the big thing for them is if you look at the way that Australia attacks around the ruck and the way they attack in numbers around the ruck, it is just next level. No one's doing that except Australia. So that was a a big part of their massive win. Uh, Scotland were defeated 28 points to 4 by Italy. And that was a really interesting result because I thought Scotland had probably win that game. Um, the, the highlights in the bit of the game that I did see, Scotland just, they didn't look well prepared and they looked short of talent. Whereas Italy looked like they had a little bit more talent. And they looked very well prepared. And and that ended up being the difference in the match from what I saw of it anyway. Um, Some really good tries there by Italy. And, you know, that was played in front of a bit of a poor crowd. But we'll get to crowds in a little bit. Jamaica, they got flogged by Ireland. 48 points to 2. Now, the Jamaican team, they they lacked a bit of talent as well. They probably lacked a little bit of fitness compared to the Irish side. Ireland was being led around by Luke Keary, so that was a big plus for them. But on top of that, the Irish team just simply outplayed Jamaica. You know, there was uh, a few bounce of the balls went against Jamaica, and Ireland kind of just was on top of them the entire 80 minutes. Um, Because early on, you kind of thought that Jamaica might be able to make a few inroads, but... No, no, it was all pretty one-sided through that game. So that was a bit of an interesting contest. Uh, Then we had New Zealand playing Lebanon. New Zealand won 34 points to 12. This game was actually closer than it seemed. Lebanon were doing things to upset the New Zealand game. And it was just little kicks here and there, short kickoffs, all of that sort of stuff that didn't allow New Zealand to really get on a roll until a little bit later in the match. Um... Adam Dewey got sent off in this game for dissent, and that really, really, really hurt the Lebanese team. Really stupid by him. I mean, at this level, to let your teammates down is bad, but when you're one of the leaders of the team overall and you get sent off for dissent, just unbelievable and inexcusable, really terrible, and he let his side down, he let his country down. Um, New Zealand looked short of a run. And you don't want to peak, obviously, in the first week. But yeah, it was a little bit of a worry. That's that's what I'll say about that. But they'll get better as the tournament goes on. That's what New Zealand always does. Uh, France beat Greece 34 points to 12. This was actually the best game of the World Cup up until the last game I just watched. Um, France looked a little bit clunky. And they looked... They didn't look sharp, which was a bit of a concern for me. Greece played really well. They did everything you could have asked from them. Keep in mind that they're probably one of the less talented sides, but they looked pretty well coached. They looked very well prepared. And the scoreline um, probably ref- reflects the match overall. But, you know, that they, they took it to France uh, quite For quite a lot of that match And it was good to see Now the last game that I've watched And there's only one more match in the first round But I thought I'd get a podcast out So you can listen to something Has been the match of the World Cup so far Tonga beat PNG 24 points to 18 This game was locked up very late in the piece And Tonga ended up scoring Tonga were actually getting into position To go for a field goal They ran it instead, and it looked like the biggest mistake of the whole match. And then they started throwing the ball around. They went from one side of the field, went back to the middle, went back to the one side of the field. And I think they put a kick in at the end and scored off of that kick to win the match right at the death, basically. Um, PNG were unlucky to win this, to to lose this match, sorry. PNG had a try disallowed by the video referee that I thought was a fair try. Um the video referees said that the ball had touched the the dead-end goal line. I don't think it had, but that's what the video referee said. Um PNG looked very, very, very good, especially out of dummy half. And around the ruck, they were fantastic. Uh Tonga was very good up front, but they didn't look sharp. They looked a little bit short of a run themselves. And you know they're gonna really need their be a couple of their big guns have to come back. Jason tomalolo didn't play in this game, so that was a big big you know loss for them. He still um has a couple of games left I think in suspension from the n r l season to get through before he can play for Tonga, but yeah, it was just one of those games where Tonga kept on walking up through the middle of the field and then would let themselves down with poor play. They didn't look sharp at all. PNG looked sharp the entire game but couldn't really match it, you know, in in the forwards. And they were trying to win in other ways and they almost got the win. And I tell you what, that's been the best game of the World Cup so far, easily uh, the closest game in the World Cup. All the other games have been pretty much blowouts. Now, I want to talk about... Uh, one of the things that is dominating the news cycle at the moment with the World Cup, and that is some of the poor crowds we are seeing. The first the first game between England and Samoa had a pretty good crowd. They were up in Newcastle. But every game since has been poorly attended. And as the tournament has gone on, it's, it's become more and more obvious that there's something going on with the attendances at this World Cup. And there's shades of the 2000 World Cup, unfortunately, with this World Cup where you've seen some all right games of football being played and they're being played in front of just no one. Empty stands. It's terrible. Now, I've been talking about this on Twitter and the overwhelming amount of feedback I'm getting back from fans over there is that the ticket prices are just too high for matches. They're many times higher than what you get for Super League games which is obviously going to be the marker that rugby league fans over there use. And it, when you look at the economy too in the, the UK, I know our Australian and New Zealand listeners in particular, you know we see the price of living going up a little bit, the price of energy going up a little bit. Over in the UK, it is much, much, much worse. And people ha- are having to make decisions about what they spend their money on. And obviously with the ticketing prices that have been put out for this World Cup, there's been an issue there. Now, I would normally have said about it that World Cup organisers probably should have sorted out before the World Cup. When you consider that they had a whole extra year to look at this ticket sales and see what was coming up here and realising that they weren't selling enough tickets, it's inexcusable. And when you couple... The poor ticket sales with some of the stories we're hearing from people going to games and being told that the cheap tickets aren't actually available, that they're all sold out, that they have to buy the expensive tickets to get into the match. And then they're going into the stadiums and seeing where the cheap tickets were and nobody sitting there and where the expensive tickets are. And that's where everyone shoved in. There's something going on with the World Cup tickets. I'm not going to make any accusations about the World Cup organisers, but I think obviously there's an issue there and it's an issue that should have been seen ahead of time. And it's inexcusable when you consider that they had plenty of time to sort this out coming into the World Cup. Another thing I'll say about the World Cup organisation is that, you know, we need to look at the, the stadiums we play World Cup games at because some of them don't have enough runoff for these players when they go you know, over the sidelines or over the dead in goal line, you know, they're they're being slammed up against metal fences. That's not good enough. We saw um Tyrone May being taken off in a stretcher because they couldn't get a uh, one of those minicabs out there on the field. That was a terrible look for the game. That wasn't good enough. And the other thing I have seen in the World Cup so far is that we're doing the national anthems and all that And then players are having to stand around for two and three minutes while somebody on a loudspeaker tells the crowd about, you know, saying no to, to racism and we're all one and we're all inclusive and all that sort of thing. And when you consider the backdrop of some of the stuff that's been said by rugby league officials in recent weeks, it just is a little bit galling that we're all standing around waiting for a football game to be played while... You know, we've got corporate bullshit going on. People turn up to watch rugby league games. I don't think anybody that turned up to watch Tonga versus PNG is a racist. I don't think they need to be talked to by the organisers about not being racist. You know what I mean? So I, I just think they need to scrap that crap and just get on with playing the games after the the uh, national anthems have been sung. We don't need more ceremonies in sport. We don't need more standing around and being, you know, chastised for things. Just play the fucking game, please. So that's another thing that that stood out for me. Um, Another thing that I've heard is that for all the bullshit that's gone on about uh, World Cup numbers that players are wearing on their back and how it's all great for marketing and stuff like that and of course the marketing you can see how many people are turning up to the world cup that it's very hard to get a jersey that's not an england jersey that some of the games they go to that people have gone to they go expecting to buy jerseys for the teams involved and they can't actually buy jerseys for the teams involved so that's disappointing to hear as well And that's something that the World Cup organisers will hopefully sort out before the next round of games. Now, we have one more game left in this first round, and that is between uh, Wales and the Cook Islands. So we'll see how that one turns out. And then we're on to round two of the World Cup. And we should hopefully see a few better games than we've seen in the first round. Now, another piece of interesting news that we've seen in recent days out of Rugby League, is that the Manly Seagulls made it official that they're getting rid of Des Hasler. They're bringing in Anthony Seabold. Now, the thing about Anthony Seabold is that he has already committed to do something with the, I believe it's the English Rugby Union side during next year's Rugby League season. So the Manly Seagulls need to make sure they've got an assistant coach that they feel can get the job done. And the word at the moment is that that person will be Shane Flanagan. So Shane Flanagan will at some point next year probably be coaching the Manly Seagulls because the Manly Seagulls number one choice to replace Des Hasler can't be there 100% of the time, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, As soon as I heard that sort of ridiculous scenario, I started thinking to myself, well, at least now, West Tigers fans have a club they can punch down at when, in terms of poorly run clubs, because that is an absolute farce of a situation that's going on at Manly. I don't know why all of a sudden the club fell apart. The media keeps on t- uh, talking about that pride jersey that they that they wore, at the, and look, it could be the straw that broke the camel's back in some regard, but I don't think it is. I. I It's just a weird situation. I don't understand it, but the Manly Seagulls look like they're removing themselves from um, being a relevant club in the foreseeable future, which is very sad for their fan base, but what can you do? Another issue that we've seen in the NRL recently is coming out of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. The Dragons recently had um, George Burgess leave the club. You might remember George Burgess. He had a debilitating hip injury. That he was coming back from. He played over in Super League. Then he had an off-field issue as well. That he was dealing with. A a legal issue that I won't go into. He didn't feature in. Or he didn't feature much in the Dragons. um, 2022 NRL season. Which wasn't surprising. He wasn't a great buy. And he has left the club in recent days. And said that he basically knew. That when he turned up. That the coach didn't want him there. Which. You know, that's kind of a weird thing for him to key in on. And that, you know, he really didn't have a chance. I don't think he was a good boy. I didn't think he was going to play much first grade football. And it turned out that way. Um, I wouldn't be using George Burgess as the moral compass of the St. George Illawarra Dragons Football Club. That's my personal opinion. And I think that not having him on the books is a positive for the club. Now, another thing that has come out is that uh, the Dragons had a their end-of-season dinner and only three players apparently turned up to that, which is kind of weird. Now, they had a lot of players involved in the World Cup, so they weren't able to attend, but there still should have been many, many, many other players at the club. The club obviously has some problems, and they have had for many, many years. Uh, It's now a privately owned club, so I don't know why they've got all of these issues. You would think that a private owner would get on top of that, but have a look at the Manly Seagulls. You know, sometimes it just goes in that direction. Um, A lot of people are blaming Anthony Griffin, and when I look at the Dragons lineup, and I hear that the Dragons players don't like the coach, I really don't care because there's only one player in that Dragons lineup I would say is untouchable, and that's Ben Hunt. And Ben Hunt has recently re signed with the club. So that's great news. The rest of them you could show the door, and I don't think it would be too much of a problem. There's not a lot of talent at the club, and that's a problem with the front office. You know, that's not so much the coach's problem. And it's also been a problem that's been going on at that club for quite some time now. So all of this pressure that. You see the media putting on the coach. I think it's misplaced, and I don't understand why it's being misplaced. I, I It's just one of those weird things to me because when I see what Griffin, Griffin did with the uh, talent he had on hand, I think he outcoached the talent in his side this year. I really do. I think he did a fantastic job in a really bad situation. He almost got them into the finals. And that club should have been nowhere near the finals with the talent that they had on the field. They're just a terrible football team. So I I can't blame um, Hook for how they did this year. I think there are many other issues at that club that need sorted out well before the coach. You know, It's not like this is a football team that is going to be a premiership winner and the thing holding them back is the coach. It's probably the opposite at the moment. The only thing that has them not in the wooden spoon battle battle at the moment is the coach. So I don't know how St. George fans will react to me saying that because they're just so fed up with where the club's been at for the last number of years. And I get it. Like they don't want to hear any excuses for anyone at the club. As I said, the the people running the club have a lot to answer for. I think most of the players you could get rid of. But I, I don't think the problem is the coach at the moment. You know, if this is a team that is making the finals and the coach is holding holding them back, I'll start talking about the coach. But right now, it's not the coach holding them back. Anyway, that is our episode for today. We're going to have Andrew come on, but unfortunately, Andrew come down with a terrible, terrible tooth issue. Apparently, his face is swollen up terribly. He's finding it hard to talk. He's hoping that he will be able to get on in the next couple of days. He was going to get on today, and I told him, please, Andrew, don't do that to yourself. I've got this covered. And so that's why it's a solo episode today. Um, The next episode will probably be sometime this weekend. I don't think I'll be jumping on for anything that happens in the Cook Islands versus Wales match, but you could see, you know, something might happen. I hope that the crowds pick up for the World Cup. These players are putting on performances that deserve bigger crowds. And as a rugby league fan that has been watching international rugby league at all levels for a long time now, I have to say that even the worst World Cup games that we're seeing right now are pretty damn good compared to what we see out of international rugby league, even in its recent history. Everyone is lifting their game, and that's fantastic to see. There are positives, and those positives are mostly on the field. Off the field, we still have a long way to go with how the game is being run and how the World Cup is being run. I think when you look at these crowds, we obviously need to get rid of all of the World Cup organising officials. I think that the French will do a much better job in 2025. I think that they will show the way for all World Cups into the future. I'm really looking forward to that already. Three years to the next World Cup. It's going to be fantastic. And yeah. That's all I have to say so far in the World Cup. Thank you for listening to and the Freak. Uh, I hope you're enjoying World Cup games. Have my favourites and everything changed so far? No. I still think it's between Australia and New Zealand. Tonga a step back from them with PNG. I would say Samoa is probably out of it at this stage. I think that... It's hard to judge England until we see them play somebody that wants to turn up and play and we'll go from there I'm already looking forward to the quarterfinals and semifinals and all that It's going to be I think when we get to the business stage of this World Cup it is going to be something pretty special I think it might be on the field the best World Cup we've ever seen anyway thank you for listening remember you can check me out on Twitter at League Freak no spaces. Check out my Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash leaguefreak. Go to leaguefreak.com. I'll start writing again at some point. My fingers have been very lazy. That's what she said. And we will catch you soon.